Thank you for tuning in to the Elevate Podcast, a podcast for athletes and those who coach them. If you're looking to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, I know my guest this episode has you covered. He is a criminal justice college professor, nationally known keynote speaker and best-selling author, along with best-selling author motivational speaker John Gordon, who we've had on the podcast, of the amazing book, The Coffee Bean, a simple lesson to create positive change. His first book and autobiography, The Change Agent, How a Former College Quarterback Sentenced to Life in Prison Transformed His World, was published just three years after his release from a Texas maximum security prison. Today, he lives a life of recovery and service, going to meetings and sharing his story all over the country with schools, churches, athletics teams, corporations, conferences, and inside correctional facilities. Over the past few years, he's been sharing the coffee bean lesson with dozens of college football teams such as Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, and Texas, and countless other schools. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Damon West. How are you, sir? Man, I'm well, Tyler, and thanks for having me, man. Thanks for sharing your time with me today, brother. Oh, well, I'm excited to have you. I've been wanting to have you on for a while and uh, see you out uh, speaking to like all the SEC teams and football teams, and we've got a lot of coaches and football players in this audience too. So um, hopefully if they have not read your book, The Coffee Bean, it's linked up here. Uh, it's a great, simple lesson in this complex world. For those that might not know, what, what is the simple lesson in The Coffee Bean? The coffee bean is this, and I, and I got it from a guy, and so I was in Dallas County Jail. I'd just been sentenced to life in prison for my role in a bunch of meth-related burglaries, and uh, this is back in 2009. The jury sentenced me to life, and I'm, I'm in the pod in Dallas County Jail, and I'm asking all these guys that have been to prison before, how am I going to survive? What am I going to do? And every guy I talk to, Tyler, is like, man, you got to get into a gang. But the thing is, I've promised my mom and my dad that I won't join a gang, that I won't get in one of these white hate groups. Right. Because they didn't raise me like that. And so there was this one guy, this older, Mr. Jackson was probably in his 60s. I've never, never got his real age. And, and he, was, uh, he was what you call a career criminal, been, been in and out of prison all of his life. But he was the most positive guy I ever met, Tyler. And so he's just trying to explain prison to me. And, and he sees that I'm struggling with the whole concept of all the fighting and the violence I'm about to have to get into. He said, let me break it down for you this way. He said, I want you to imagine prison as a pot of boiling water. He said, anything we put in that pot of boiling water is going to be changed by the heat and the pressure inside that pot. He said, I'm going to put three things in that pot of boiling water and watch how they change. A carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. So he said, first things first. He said, if I put a carrot in that pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, what happens to the carrot? And I said, well, it turns soft. He said, that's right. He said, the carrot goes into prison hard, but the water of the prison Changes the carrot, turns it soft. He said the carrot got beat, he got robbed, he got raped, and well, he may have gotten killed. He said, you don't want to be the carrot. Right. He said, what about the egg? And I said, well, the egg turns hard. Mr. Jackson, like a hard-boiled egg. And he said, that's right. He said, the egg has a shell that protects it physically, but inside the egg is not okay. He said, because inside that soft liquid core, his heart becomes hardened. He said, if your heart becomes hardened, you're incapable of giving or receiving love. He said, if you're incapable of giving or receiving love, you've become institutionalized and you will not come back as someone your parents recognize because your eggshell will have swastikas tattooed all over it. And that's yeah. when he asked, what about the coffee bean? 
And I had no clue. I didn't know what happened to a coffee bean in a pot of boiling water. And that's when he said, if I put a coffee bean, that same pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, now you have to change the name of the water to coffee. Because he said the coffee bean, the smallest of these three things, he said, small like you, West, had the power to change the entire atmosphere inside that pot. He said, everybody in life puts out energy, negative or positive. And he said, whatever kind of energy you put out, you attract back. It's called the law of attraction. And it works. He says, so if you want to walk around prison all the time with a mean mug on your face and a scowl, you know, you want to look hard. What you're actually going to do is attract that same kind of hard individual into your life. And he said, where you're going, that could be a very dangerous, even deadly endeavor. He said, but if you walk around that prison with a smile on your face and you let those guys know they're not getting to you, no matter what they do, they can't get to you. He said, you'll change that prison from the inside out. And he said, the best part about it is the other coffee beans in prison, the other positive inmates, they will find you because of your energy. And the last thing Mr. Jackson told me before I got on that prison bus in August 2009 to be shipped off to the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, he said, Wes, go out there and go be a coffee bean. Be a coffee bean. So if he was shooting me straight, Tyler, if this guy was telling me the truth, that meant that the power was inside me. It wasn't in the hands right. of the criminal justice system. It wasn't in the hands of the guards or even the other inmates. The power's inside me. In order to, for them, any of those other groups to have power over me, I would have to give them the power. And if the power was inside me, that meant that maybe I wouldn't just survive prison. Maybe I could thrive in prison. And I think that's the power of the coffee bean message so much, Tyler, especially right now. The world's in a giant pot of boiling water. And, but we have three choices to how we're going to respond to what goes on around us. Because we don't control these things going on around us. But we do control our response to it. How we respond to what's going on. We really just control what we think, what we say, what we feel, and what we do. And that's the power of being a coffee bean is maintaining control over those four things. Because when we don't control those four things, when we abdicate control of what's inside of our head, because everything we control is inside of our head. When we abdicate those controls, we become prisoners ourselves out here in the free world. And that's the power of the coffee bean message is that I meet, I meet more people out here that are locked up in the free world than I ever did when I was in prison serving that life sentence. More people are imprisoned by their thoughts and by their things yeah. than by steel bars and barbed wire and concrete tower. That's a, a great observation. Uh, I see a similar pattern. Um, Go into that a little bit. Why, why, why do you think that is that so many people, you know, have this trapped or desolate feeling maybe when they are, have freedoms, have abilities, have opportunities that they're just not seeing? Well, you know, the thing about it is, is you got to have perspective in life. And one of, one of the things that I think that has helped me out in life so much is the perspective I've been given Having served sentence, uh, 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 you know, I did seven years and three months in a max security penitentiary. I'm on parole the rest of my life. But the thing about it is, is I know what a bad day looks like. You don't have to go to a physical prison to know what a bad day looks like. You have to be able to draw within your well of experiences to know what your own bad day Because Because pain is relative, Tower. If you say it's the worst sure. pain in the world, it's the worst pain in the world. I can't tell you my pain is worse than yours because it's about your perspective on things. But when we lose our perspective on what a bad situation really is, we lose that ability to be able to gauge things because I know that, you know, life is going to knock me down and it does. I mean, there's days that I wake up and I'm being the carrot or I'm being the egg. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Bless you. Good. Usually I've seen five times. That was three. But um, <laughs> there's days that I wake up, Tyler, and I'm the, I'm the carrot or I'm the egg. And, but, I, but I know that anytime I want, I can change my day. I control that. I can stop having a bad day anytime I want and say, I, and go look in the mirror and say, hey, man, look, you don't have to live like that, Damon. You know, yeah. Go be a coffee bean. And I think people get so caught up in the pain because the pain and the fear is a very comforting place. It's a very fear yeah. right now, Tyler, fear. We're seeing fear and it's all its hundreds of forms of fear play out in our lives right now. You know, everything you turn on and see is about fear and that fear breaks you down and fear paralyzes people. My, my co-author on, on the coffee bean and good. Yeah, friend, was, so that was a question. How did you connect with him and, and uh, get into that? Oh, I'm going to give you a good story about that, man. Cool. But, but I'm going to tell you what John says about fear. John says fear and faith have more in common than just the letter F they begin with. He said fear and faith both believe in a future that hadn't happened yet. And he said fear is a negative future and faith is a positive future. So John's always saying when given the choice to choose a future that hasn't even happened, choose faith. You know, why not? Because neither one has happened. And fear gives you this gloom and doom. John Gordon Man, meeting this guy was maybe the most pivotal thing in my life besides meeting the guy that introduced us. So let me take you back to January of 2017. All right. I was out of prison 14 months. I'm working at a law firm in Beaumont, which is great. To be out of prison and working at a law firm, one of the most prestigious firms in Texas. I started working there right when I got out of prison. I mean, total, total God thing that I ended up wow. in this firm. But I'm at the firm one day, and I want to speak to college football teams and I just don't have access to these guys, Tyler, these coaches, these football programs. A buddy of mine that works in the Houston media called me up. He said, hey, I got a press pass for you for the uh, Bear Bryant Coach of the Year Award. And every year they're going to give the Bear Bryant Coach of the Year Award to the best college football coach in America, and they do it in Houston, Texas, 90 miles from where I live in Beaumont, Texas. He said, if you want the press pass, you got to come now. So I drive the 90 miles after work to Beaumont. I get to, to the Toyota Center, and I hit the ground running. You know, he sneaks me in. I hit the ground running. And all these major coaches are there. I mean, USC, Helton's there from USC. Chris is there from Wisconsin. Franklin from Penn State. Uh, P.J. Fleck is there. So I'm meeting all these guys, and I'm getting to shake their hands. And every guy I meet, every coach I meet that night is shooting me down. And, I mean, I've got this terrible elevator pitch. I'm, and I'm just – it's like I'm throwing up on it. You know, <laughs> yeah. my, it's so raw, you know, my pitch. I'm seven to eight coaches down. I'm in the corner of the Toyota Center, and I'm licking my wounds. And that voice is in my head, and I'm listening to that voice that says, go home, Damon. Just go home. That last coach, which I can't even get to because he's the most in-demand coach. They just won the national championship two days before. That last coach, he's going to tell you no, Damon. You know he's going to tell you no. But then that voice kicked in, that competitor, that, that voice that says, hey, you want to be a motivational speaker. What kind of motivational speaker just quits? And – and, man, you survive way worse than this. Man, you survive prison. You're going to talk to that coach, and that coach is telling you no to your face. So I stalked the room, and I stalked, and I watched, and I waited for my opportunity to, to jump on Dabo Sweeney. And I jump on Dabo when he doesn't get any We got Dabo up against the ball. And I'm giving him this, this – man, I'm giving him 10 minutes of conversation in one minute. I'm just throwing up on him. And Dabo will tell you to this day, it was like getting a drink of water from a fire hydrant, you know? <laughs> And at the end of this one minute, Dabo's like, man, do you have a card on you or something? And so I shove a card in his face. He grabs my card. He takes it. He says, we'll be in touch. And he takes off running. 
And I'm like, oh, man, I mean, another no. But I felt okay about that because I got eight no's out of eight people, and I left it all on the field that night. And I felt I – mean, that's what we talk about in sports, leaving it all on the field. Yeah. Drive home, sleep like a baby, put the night out of my mind. Four months later, I get an email from the director of football operations at Clemson University. He says, hey, Damon, it's Mike Dewey. Coach Sweeney said he met you at an award show in Houston. Would love to have you come talk to the team. Do you have August 1st open? Tyler, do I have August 1st? Man, I got every first open, dude. I can, I can come today if you want me to, man. Right. I got nothing going on in my life. August 1st, 2017, I go speak to the defending cha- national champion, Clemson Tigers, and after that presentation is over, Dabo's got me up against the wall, and he's telling me, hey, man, that's the most amazing story I've ever heard in my life. He said, I've never seen my players respond like that to a speaker before. He said, have you been to Alabama yet? And I'm like, no. Dabo, I've been to Clemson, man. I haven't been to – how am I going to get to Alabama? He said, well, we'll see about that. He said, I just, I just text Nick Saban from the back of the room to tell him what I was witnessing. And when I landed in Houston the next morning, I had a voicemail and a text message from the director of football operations at, at University of Alabama, and the message said, we'll see you in Tuscaloosa in three weeks. You're on. Just like that, Dabo Sweeney's kicked this major door up. And he called other coaches. I mean, I've got, you know, just yeah. coaches calling me. You know, uh, Lincoln Riley's calling me. And, and all these other coaches are like, hey, we, we need to have him talk to the team. Dabo called. One year later, August of 2018, I'm at my desk at work again at that law firm, and I get a phone call. Now, the other end of the phone this time is a guy named John Gordon. And, Tyler, I know who John Gordon is, man. I, this yeah. is the guy I follow on social media. He's the energy bus guy, right? He sold 4 million books. He's huge, and he's on my phone. Or is he? So I, it's, I'm like, John, how do you know who I am? And he said, Dabo Sweeney. He said, Dabo can't quit talking about you and that coffee bean story. He said, Damon, I was just in Dabo's office, and he was telling me about the coffee bean, and he told me to get in touch with you. He said, Damon, let's write a book. We'll call it the coffee bean. He said this in 2018, Tyler. He said, the world needs the coffee bean message right now, Damon. So we did the book, and it became a bestseller. And look, here we are in this giant pot of boiling water in 2020. Never has there been a better message for the time that we're living I think I love coffee. So I find like a timeless thing in it too. Like there's just this aspect that like coffee for years brings people together. It draws conversation. It, you know, it brings, I don't know. So I love like just that sense of just the coffee bean too. And just its spirit. Um, you talked about, uh, you know, kind of meeting John and starting to get to share your story more. What fulfills you the most maybe, or what do you see in the audiences that fulfills you the most when you share your story? It's it, it's a, it's a story that I heard from Mr. Rogers, and, and love him. did you ever watch Mr. Rogers? I did. I love him. I, I was I, him. I was one of those kids that when I didn't have friends, you sat on the floor and the TV was on the floor, and he was the yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and so Mr. Rogers tells a story from before he was Mr. Rogers, a TV show guy. He was a Presbyterian minister back in the early '60s, and he said he went to a substitute. He went to a, a sermon one. Went to church one Sunday. They had a substitute preacher come in. And a substitute preacher gave a sermon that day, and he said he sat through this guy's sermon, and at the end of this sermon, he thought to himself, he said, that was the worst sermon I've ever heard. He said it was awful. He said it was terrible. He said it almost put him to sleep. He said it went against all the rules of giving a good sermon. And just as Mr. Rogers was about to turn to the woman next to him and tell her how terrible this guy was, he stopped. He bit his tongue because the woman next to him was in tears. 
she was in tears and she turned to Mr. Rogers and she said, that was the most beautiful sermon I've ever heard. She -hmm. said it was the absolute right thing I needed to hear at the absolute right time in my life. And she said, I will never forget where I was this day that I heard this sermon. And that's when Mr. Rogers realized the power that human beings have to connect with each other, that every single one of us has the power to, to impact positively another human life. And even that preacher that he thought was so terrible profoundly impacted this little old lady. But he learned another very important lesson that day. He learned that while he was coming in judgment, that little old woman was coming in need. Mm. And that's the thing, Tyler. So many people out there are in need. And they're in need of something. And I find that my story, among many things it brings to people, is hope. It brings hope. No doubt. To the seemingly hopeless. And I say seemingly hopeless because I talk about it from addiction circles. We talk about our lives in addiction and recovery as seemingly hopeless because it's never really hopeless, but it, it's that fear thing again. That fear thing makes you think it's hopeless and it can't be done. But when you come out and you tell someone a story uh, of going through prison and, and becoming that coffee bean inside of the toughest environment that a human being can be put into, it gives them hope that, that their struggles can be met too with at least the hope that they can find their way out of it and they can be happy again. They can find peace. And that's what, a, that's what I really hope to do. Tyler, one of the best things I get to do, in fact, the best thing I get to do is go into prisons. I love going into prison. I love going to corporations, yeah. to teams, to organizations. Great. But you put me into a prison because in that prison, in that audience, 100% of the people in that audience are locked on to what I'm saying. And then not that I don't draw a good response from crowds I go into because I think there's sure. something to my story for everybody, but in a room full of inmates, 100% of them are locked in because they want what I've got. And when you go into a crowd and they want what you've got, you've brought value immediately. They're buying whatever you're selling. And if I was nefarious, they would sell They would buy whatever it was too, but I'm bringing them hope. Yeah. Because hope is that one thing. It's that double-edged sword. Um, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen Shawshank Redemption, but there was a sentence in there that line. The, I mean, Morgan Freeman is who I thought of when you were telling the story before. Hope can be a dangerous thing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, and it can be, man. Hope can be a dangerous I tell people, especially in prison, that hope can be a dangerous thing. When you, when you put your hope into the wrong things, and it doesn't pan out, it doesn't ever deliver what you're – you're, you're needing that, that takes you down even further. And it's like a thirsty man in the desert, a thirsty man in the desert who sees a mirage. If he's thirsty enough, that thirsty man may drink the sand. And if he drinks the sand, the sand will kill him. And that's what happens to us in life. We follow the wrong people. We get behind the wrong ideals. We, we let a leader take us down a road where this leader is not a good person. And we buy into all the toxicity that comes with that, and it destroys us from the inside out. This country has been drinking poison, and the poison is eroding us from the inside out. And that's, that's sadly what, it, what we are right now as a country. We're so divided and so fractured because I think people have lost hope. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it just seems like a time we look for the one thing that differenti- differentiates us instead of anyone searching for the one thing that connects us. So many yeah. times, I think. Um, if you check out uh, Damon's social media when he gets on the field, you can kind of you can zip the ball still. I saw I saw <laughs> some throws. Um, going back to being a college athlete, 
um, student athlete. Is there, when you think about that time, what's the one thing that maybe when you were that young going into college sports, what did you feel most unprepared for and moving to a college you know, athlete? When I, when I played college sports, my mind wasn't really right. I wasn't – and there's a chapter in my book, The Change Agent, and it's called Youth is Wasted on the Young. And my dad used to always say this, you know, and I never knew what it meant when I was younger. But now that I'm older, of course I know what it means, youth is wasted on the young. Kind of the whole point of youth is wasted on the young, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's self-fulfilling prophecy. And so – but, you know, I was most unprepared looking back on it now. I was most unprepared – for life on life's terms. And that's where we get so hung up and so out of whack, especially as addicts, that we can't handle life on life's terms. And we, when we can't handle life on life's terms, we look for alternative realities. Mm-hmm. And that's where you go into with addiction and substance abuse. You're putting chemicals in to change the way you feel because it gives you that feeling that you're unable to get anywhere else because you won't become a whole person and becoming a whole person means you're spiritually, emotionally, and mentally connected in to the universe again. And I wasn't connected like that. I was a very selfish person and my addicts are selfish anyway. That's what we are when we're in our, and I say we, cause I'm still an addict. I'm in recovery today, but addiction is a very selfish thing. You know, it, 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 you know, you become a liar, a thief, a cheat, you know, no one, I tell people all the time, Tyler, no one grows up wanting to be, uh, a drug addict, a drunk, a criminal, a thief. I, I became all these things. I wanted to be a, a, a pro football player in a sport. I want to be Jerry Maguire, you know, but I became all those other things because of addiction. Addiction takes you away from everything important. And I tell people all the time, addicts, and I know this, this, isn't, this isn't a podcast about addiction, but it, the, the rules, the, the principles of recovery are so valuable for not just people dealing with addiction, for people dealing with anything. For sure. And addicts give up, we give up, addicts will give up our goals to meet our behaviors. And normal people that are focused and driven in life, they give up their behaviors to meet their goals. Mm-hmm. But addicts aren't capable of that. But, but addiction comes in many forms, Tyler. I mean, people become addicted to, to things that are everyday stuff that occurs around fear. Fear can be an addictive. Fear is one of the most addictive, addictive things in the world. It's, it's the most no addictive doubt. stimulant drug there is. Fear in its many forms because becomes so addictive and so comfortable for people that they don't know anything but living in fear. Yeah. It, uh, it definitely lights up a lot of parts of the brain. I always find it fascinating how fear, fear has a unique way of bringing people together for the wrong reasons. <laughs> But I, love it, 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 I love how you put that, man. It lights up a lot of party brains and brings people together for the wrong reasons. It's, it's, it's powerful. Um, you know, I mean, just like negativity draws, right? It's just when you go, go that route. Uh, since 2017, you talked about the Dabo story. I love how you chased him down. Uh, you've gotten the opportunity to, to speak in prisons, executives, a lot of these great football programs. Is there a lesson in the recent years that you picked up along the way from one of your audience members, coaches, or executives? Yeah, there's one that I picked up, and it happened during the pandemic. And, and somebody I was talking to, it was just in a conversation I was having with this friend of mine, and she said, you know, she said, this reminds me of that Post and Kellogg story. And I'm like, what Post and Kellogg story? What are you talking about? And she said, she told me a little bit about it. I went and did the research on it, and I use it everywhere I go speak now because it's so relative to what's going on right now 
Here's the story. In the 1920s, there were two cereal companies in America, Tyler. There was Post and there was Kellogg. Actually, it was just Post. Post was so big, man. They had all the market share of cereal in America. Kellogg's was this real small competing cereal company that really wasn't competing, right? Right. But in October of 1929, the stock market crashed and the Great Depression began. And when that happened, Post quit doing all those things that made them great because they started living in fear and doubt. And when the stock market crashed in 29, they quit doing marketing. They quit running radio ads. They fired a lot of people. They laid a lot of people off. They quit inventing new cereals during that time. No more research and development, right? Kellogg's living in the same time with the same events going on around them. They looked through a different prism and they looked, they, what they saw was opportunity, opportunity. And it's what I tell people all the time about finding the opportunity and adversity because every adverse, dark, tragic situation has opportunities. You have to dig and find them sometimes. Kellogg saw the opportunity, Tyler. And you know what they did? They took the little bit of money they had left, the biggest gamble in the world during the Great Depression, and they put it into to radio. They put it into marketing. They invented a new cereal during that time called Rice Krispies. And I mean, I, everybody's heard of Rice Krispies. And, and by 1933, four years into the Great Depression, Kellogg's overtook Post as the biggest cereal company in America, and they have never looked back since. And all of that happened during the, during the darkest period in human history up until now. Because now we're sitting in that dark time again, that dark, tragic time. And look, you're going to see, you know, speaking of people coming in need, you know, the effects of shutting down the economy haven't been fully felt yet. Because we have rent controls, you have stimulus money going out. That's all going to come to an end. Oh, yeah. The the spigot's going to be cut off, and you're going to see a dire need. You're going to see a dark time in human history about to happen. There's going to be a lot of people coming in need. And the opportunity there, you know, for so many of us is to find people in need and help them because there's going to be more of a need for us to help out. But that's the thing. It's servant leadership. You know, servant leadership, Tyler, is helping other people achieve their goals in life helping to raise other people up to a different station of life. Because when we're helping other people, that's when we're at our best. But moreover, when we're helping other people, when we get involved in other people's problems, we get outside of our own. And we realize that our problems are not as big as we thought they were. But yeah, that Post and Kellogg story has been dynamic because it's such a good way to frame what's going on right now. And at the end of the pandemic, you're going to see a lot of Post and Kellogg's. You're going to see, I mean, I, I talk about it. I was just talking to Ole Miss two days ago. Yeah, uh, I was in Oxford with Lane, and I, I told his team, you're going to see these post-Kellogg stories. As a matter of fact, you saw one the first week of the season. You had number 24, Iowa State, playing against Louisiana Lafayette. And I spoke to Louisiana Lafayette and to their team in August camp. Nice. I told them the post-Kellogg story. And guess what? They became the Kellogg story because they knocked off number 24 out of nowhere. But they trained so hard in the offseason, man. They're, yeah. you know, Coach Napier over there at, at Louisiana Lafayette – he had those guys working out in, with band workouts because they couldn't get in the weight room. So he ordered bands for everybody on the team, strength and conditioning bands. Other teams weren't doing that. He was doing that. He was looking beyond that. Yeah. No doubt. Tony Tiger's still doing great, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like, uh, well, I think there's always people like – I was a business and economics minor. So like the ingenuity of making a cereal out of rice at that time, also cheap ingredient, let's market it, put some marshmallows, make a treat. <laughs> right? like, yeah, absolutely. Man. It was just, it's a great story. Um, how do you define success along your journey and all you've been through? How do you view success? 
you know, I view success about, and this is my definition of success. So everybody's got their own. My definition of success is not measured by, by my ability to earn money, my business acumen, or uh, my, you know, my, my definition of success is how much of a positive impact can I have on the world? How much can I pack into the stream of life? How much can I put back in the stream of life today? That's how I measure my success. And at the end of the day, you know, I have a conversation with, with what I call God, because I don't put my, my beliefs on anybody, but I have that conversation. I'm like, Hey God, how was I today? Was I a good person? Uh, Did I help enough people out? You know, do I owe someone an apology? And one of the questions I ask, you know, being in a program recovery, I ask my higher power, you know, do I owe someone forgiveness? And that's something I don't want to take. I don't want to take a resentment into the next day. And I define success by being able to live my program recovery on a daily basis. And if I'm living my program recovery, that means I was useful and not useless. That means every decision I make, I pass it through the matrix of what I call the four spiritual principles. And the four spiritual principles are unselfish, honest, pure, and loving. And if I, and if I ask myself before each of my decisions, is what you're about to do, Damon, is an unselfish, honest, pure, and loving and then if it's not, I find out that the things I might want to do are selfish, self-seeking, self-want, self-desire, self-delusion. These self-words start creeping into play. If I can avoid those self-words and be part of the solution instead of part of the problem, then that's a success. And that's a daily thing. You can measure yourself each day. And some days you're good. Some days you're not. And you're, you want to build on that. You want, to build, hey, you want to have more better days than bad days. I tell people all the, t- all the time, some days you're the pigeon, some days you're the statue but you got to get up and keep going. You don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight all your fights. I love it. Uh, last question. If uh, you could go back in a time machine and visit yourself in high school and visit 16 year old Damon uh, from your journey, what piece of advice would you give your teenage self? What piece of advice would I give my teenage self? I would tell my teenage self that it's okay to not be okay. And that, vulnerability is a strength. The last thing I wanted to be seen is vulnerable back then. And I've learned now in this life by being vulnerable, uh, it's actually a strength and vulnerability is not a weakness. Vulnerability is a strength. The person that can come out and say, Hey, I need help. That's a strong person. And that's a strength. That's a strength that I wasn't capable of back then because I had this mindset of bravado and, you know, and, and machismo and all the other stuff you think of being a guy but I couldn't get out of, couldn't get out of my own way, but I would tell myself that vulnerability is a strength.